0: Welcome to the Capstone SimCast season two. I am your host, Holly. And I'm the co-host, Heather Cole. We are joined today by Dr. Angela Collins-Yoder, Dr. Anne Graves, and Ms. Becky Edwards, who are some of our pioneers in simulation at the Capstone College of Nursing. Today, we will learn where simulation has been um, and where we can go moving forward.
1: Today we have some wonderful guests, and we're going to let them introduce themselves. Starting with Miss Becky Edwards.
2: Um, yes, my name is Becky Edwards, and I was um, director of the Lower Learning Resources Center when Medi was first uh, purchased. That's basically how I got to learn all about simulation through our Medi uh, mannequin, and it was called Medi because he came from
3: the Medi manufacturers.
2: Dr. Collins?
3: Yes, um, I was at the college for 22 years, two years part-time, and then 20 years full-time. And Dr. Graves and I were early adopters of simulation in 2005. And if you look at, you know, you don't have to look at our CVs, but uh, Dr. Graves and I had a lot of synergy In whatever was new, if it would engage students, we wanted to do it. And I'm a profoundly clinical person spending 47 years and I'm still employed actively in clinical nursing. And I still think it's the best way to teach people through controlled experience if you can't like a preceptor or apprentice them.
0: Absolutely. Dr. Grace?
4: Uh, Yes. My background is a little bit uh, less clinical than Dr. Collins Yoder. Um, I've been in nursing 43 years, but I spent about uh, 19 of that in clinical practice as staff nurse, nurse manager, clinical nurse specialist. And then I moved into education with now about 24 years in education And I I agree with the earlier comments, you know, simulation is just the way to go when you're trying to give those hard to get clinical experiences.
0: Wonderful, thank you so much. Um, So we're gonna move into a few of our questions and we would like to know how your institution that um, you worked at, how did it utilize simulation Um, when you were there, did you have designated faculty for experiential learning? Or was it a, um, just a, hey, come and take part of simulation? um, This is a new teaching strategy. uh, Or did you have those faculty that were designated to SIM?
2: uh, This is Becky Edwards. And at at the college, we definitely um, had designated faculty. And the way it all got started, is I went to um, a conference in Birmingham one time and Meddy was on, was, was there. And I'm going to use the word Meddy because that's just how I know simulation. Anytime I say Meddy, I'm speaking about simulation because he could do so many different things. And anyway, I saw him and this was probably around 2003. um, And it just blew me away. So I came back and I was so excited I told the dean and the associate dean and Marsha Adams, who was director of the undergraduate program and, uh, you know, they said, oh, yeah, we'd like to see it. And so um, we scheduled a time when the three of us went up along with our board of visitors, several members. And they were blown away with it because he could do so many things. You could make him have a heart attack or you could put make him have a seizure, all these different things. You could see all different kind of cardiac rhythms and you could give him a drug and he would respond appropriately. So um, we decided that we would like to purchase one of these for the college. And nobody had one at the time. And so um, no no nursing school had one at the time. We were the first nursing school in Alabama to get a a METI simulator. There probably were other simulators out there, but ours was, uh, we were the first to get a METI. And so we purchased uh, the METI in 2005. And it cost over $100,000. And, um, but then by the time that he from the time that we first saw him until the time that we actually got him, the Medi Corporation had developed um, some simulations to go along with him. You could put him in five different um, patients. He could, and I wrote those down on that list, um, but he could be like a seventy uh, an, a, a male or a female, you know healthy, or he could be a a, a person who smoked or had chronic lung disease, COPD, or, you know, it could be a child or it seems like there was another one, but, um, but you owe oh, it some kind of soldier, but anyway, you could put him in all these different conditions. And then along with that, there were a total of 90 different scenarios in it that would go along with either of these five different types of patients. And of course, if you were a healthy individual and had something happen to you, it'd be different than if you were a somebody with COPD and had something, uh, that went wrong with you, so um, so uh, we decided to purchase that, and that was 135. Uh, that was thirty five thousand dollars. So the dean told me, as I was director of the Learning Resources Center, that since we had spent 135 dollars plus, that every that all clinical courses would use the simulation. That was not an option. So, with that being said. Marsha Adams, who was director of the undergraduate program, and myself, were co, we had some title, it was a um, co-director, it was on the sheet of paper that I uh, sent to y'all, for the simulation. And um, so we decided that all the course leaders would be involved, all the clinical course leaders would be involved in simulation, and the dean had given us a deadline. We, pers- we maybe arrived in around January of 2005 and our deadline was fall of that year. So that's how long we had to get ready. So we had to be Johnny on the spot and hop to it.
0: That's wonderful. I, Thank I, you.
3: I'd like to echo what Becky said. I just want you to understand that it was mandated, mm-hmm. but Dr. Graves and I were early embracers, and we actually, I could find the scenario that we did, which was atrial fibrillation. We did one in um, actually March. We did it upstairs in the third floor of Russell Hall. It was the very first one. We Since we were so enthusiastic, we did it in complex client, and we did it in small groups of five. And just to follow up on what Uh, Ms. Edwards said is that this is a high fidelity patient simulator. It was the first one in the state of Alabama. And because we were early adopters, both Dr. Graves and I kind of like performed and took Medi on the road and we showed the other faculty how to use it. And because I was the course leader in pharmacology, which is not a clinical course, I made sure there was pharmacology in all the scenarios that Dr. Graves and I did together.
4: Yeah, and just to expound on that, it's um, so faculty, course faculty did their own simulations. And uh, Ms. Um, Regina and uh, Miss Becky Edwards. They were the the crutz of it. They were the one that ha- the ones that held us together. They did uh, most of the setup, but faculty also had to be involved in the setup. So it was a it was a different animal then because we had a lot more responsibilities when we did use it. And uh, to echo again on what Dr. Collins the other said, we we were early adopters. We did simulation before we had simulation mannequins. Right, Dr. Collins, Yoder? We did simulations when we had to use the old CPR mannequins, because one of my goals was to make sure every student actually put their hands on a defibrillator before they went into a critical care area. Dr. Collins-Yoder felt the same way about airway management, and she did a setup. So we did simulation before there was Medi-Mannequin. But we also had a lot of responsibilities. It's very different now. I am so happy that they have the support systems at CCN now that really supports the uh, simulation.
3: And um, if I can, Heather, I'd like to also say that Ann and I, in 2002 and three and four, developed, it was really an early avatar micro-simulation program mm-hmm. called um, Clinical Decisions Patient Outcomes. So we were trying to create a video game that would assist students to critically think. I don't know if either of you were in the cohorts that used it.
0: I definitely think that you were ahead of your time because um, Patrick and Regina shared uh, some of the things that you, you guys had done. And I was thinking, man, if only they had the support that we have now. I mean, this really would have been groundbreaking early on. I mean, I know that so much has changed since then, but it was wonderful. Um, And I didn't get the opportunity to partake, but I do, I have evidence of that
1: (laughs) in my office. I will say that I have seen this video game that Patrick still has a copy of it. And he lent it to me and I was going through it. And for that time, like that, that was a huge Thing for that time period to come out with that kind of a program. That was so I was really impressed with it. Um, I didn't okay. necessarily get every single one of them right, but <laughs> got most of them right. But you'd said something about how, you know, Medi had been brought in um, and that every, all of the clinical courses were required to participate. Did you get kickback from faculty who were skeptical or?
2: didn't necessarily want to be forced to use this. Sure. I can speak to that. And I'm sure that, um, and, 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 um, and Angela can too, but, um, there were faculty that thought, Oh, that's nice, but I don't really want to do it. And then there were some that really didn't want to do it at all. Didn't really want to get involved, but, and, and I don't know how it was handled in each of the individual courses y'all can uh others can speak to that more specifically, but we tried to make it a fun experience. I do remember that and Anne and Angela were both um very early adopters, and they were always trying to um, um do something new something that wasn't even in a scenario um at that time and so um, it was um, a fun experience. It was a learning experience, certainly for, for Patrick and Regina and I, because they'd say, well, I'd like to do such and such. And we'd say, well, OK, we'll see how we can make that happen. And so we get our heads together and try to pull it off. But the um, the CD that y'all are talking about, that was developed through a small grant that uh, or loan that we got from the um, th- from the university and we had fun doing that and it was a challenge for sure.
4: I, I want to build off of what uh, Miss Edwards was talking about the learning curve so and it'll kind of link into your question about the standards I, mean, I don't even know what the standards are I've been out of simulation so long but we had those 90 scenarios and if you want to talk about learning something, I really learned a lot by using those scenarios. They were invaluable to Dr. Uh, Colin Joder and I, and uh, we used the direct ones from the manual that we received. So I think at that time, that was considered best practice. It wasn't necessarily a standard, um, and another uh something to go along with best practice standards is, you know, we were there when we learned about uh, debriefing. <laughs> we just headed into simulation and then down the road we learned, oh, you can gain more if you do debriefing and all. So we were actually very early adopters. And, but I didn't see the pushback that Miss um, Edwards can tell you about. I know it was there, but that wasn't what doctor Colin Jutter and I were about. We were looking for every way we could to get the clinical experience to our students. And we saw where simulation benefited us.
3: I know the backstory because some faculty would say, would you please stop doing this? because you're making me look bad. I mean, I'll just be honest with you, Heather. Heather. But let's put it in context. In the time that Ann and I were talking about, Ann was finishing her PhD, okay? And half of the faculty did not have their terminal degree. So they were working a full-time teaching load and they were trying to finish their terminal degree and play the other roles that they play in life. And so, If they pushed back, it was because of the weight of the workload. I know that now we have a lot more supports, but there were only, when I started there, there was only 29 faculty. So please remit and maybe half of them did not yet have their terminal degree. And so it wasn't so much they didn't wanna do simulation It was the reality of the heaviness of the workload. My average workload at that time, to get it all done, was 60 to 70 hours a week.
0: Wow, wow. I think that's a great point to make because sometimes we don't think about why the pushback is there or why some aren't on board, but you're right, there's a lot of prep and there's a lot of uh, preparation and development um and then, of course, there's a lot of cleanup afterwards. Sim gets messy, and I've heard several stories about cleaning blood from lights and, you know, scrubbing the mannequins down forever, trying to get the the simulated blood or the the stained red blood off of the skin. So I definitely understand that. And um, Dr. Graves made a great point in that the Naxal standards weren't necessarily created until 2011 that was the very first release of the standards so i feel like all of you were kind of the pioneers in saying hey this is how we have run sim and this is how it works this is how it doesn't work and maybe debriefing is where the learning happens or maybe you do need to do it this way so i think all of you had a great part in saying hey we do need standards and we do need some way of determining how to form these simulation
2: experiences. Well, well I would just like to also add to that, that um, as Medi after Medi was purchased, it became real obvious that, you know, we were, this is going to be a big learning curve for everybody. And so Dr. Adams and I and uh, had the responsibility to draw up some policies related to simulation. And those were our individual policies, but we used the, the um, simulation handbook, which we'd purchased uh, to kind of go by because it had some suggestions as far as learning objections, you know, that you should, faculty should give to students and and how they should prepare for it. And, you know, questions that, that, um, that the faculty needed to ask students specifically. And then the manual also had suggestions for students. So we kind of formulated our capsule college and nursing uh, simulation policy after that. And so we came up with what are the faculty responsibilities um, before um, using simulation. And that was like ordering supplies and making sure that your list was complete and got to Regina on time because then she ordered the supplies. And then um, what their responsibility was during this, the simulation. And sometimes the faculty felt comfortable operating the medics, computer system, sometimes they didn't. If they didn't, Regina or I or Patrick were stepped in and did that for initially. Um, And then what faculty responsibilities were after the simulation. And that did involve some part of cleanup. And, um, you know, of course, there were always times when faculty would say uh, when the supplies were being organized by Regina and the faculty were looking over them and they'd say, well, where's the whatever? Regina would hold up the list and say it wasn't on the list. And so <laughs> then we, you know, then you have to go into improvise mode, okay? And so, um, I mean, that was real common, but you know, we'd put, try to put something together real quick. And, and so then there were responsibilities that the faculty had with students after the, um, the experience and that it did include the briefing, but there were also in our college nursing guidelines responsibilities for students and what they had to do prior to in prep- preparation for this. And they even had to um, fill out something and present it initially to show that they had done their homework or we wouldn't let them in. They had to wear and no thing. Uh, entry requirement was that they had to wear a uniform and, um, and they had to be on time. So, and if they were assigned a role, then they had to play that role because uh-huh. um Uh, faculty branched out and assigned students different roles. Uh, Some of them were the head nurse and some of them were, you know, person to call the lab or whatever. And y'all can speak to that more, Angela and
3: and Ann. Yeah, If I could too, just know that the boards of nursing had not yet embraced simulation. That was going to be one of my questions. And that was the hardest thing because we were flying blind. And so, um, There was a long discussion about did it come out of theory hours or did it come out of clinical hours? And Dr. Graves and I felt we could not cut short clinical. So we actually took we were one of the few that took it out of theory hours. And then the number was a big discussion. How many students should we have? And I think it's a follow up question, but I would just say that Ann and I were so sold on this method that we tried to do the smaller the better. We didn't have video capture capabilities and we wanted to look at this as a mentoring sort of environment and because of that um, we would literally the three of us faculty after we had done simulation for maybe 11 hours in a day to do small groups of five we were absolutely exhausted. I remember we passed out Advil at lunch, <laughs> and we would bring a crock pot meal so that we didn't have to leave the building. Yeah, that's a- I, I just want you to understand how really um, we put not just, we put all of our energy into this.
4: Right. I, I want to expand on that too, in in, in two things we we were absolutely uh, into using the theory hours. This was something, Doctor. College Elder was adamant about, and I I said, I see it. We could not get enough clinical experience for our critical care students, and we wanted it to be a part of the theory. And so to do that, we made the students do prep ahead of time. They had they had pretty extensive prep that they had to answer these questions from these scenarios. But the other thing I wanted to address was the it was fun. I mean, when you can look back on it now and you can say it was fun. But we bonded over this. So if you're looking at ways to engage your faculty with one another, I don't guess there was any greater engagement that I had than with the group when I did stimulation. Um, And she's like she said, we bonded. We brought food in. We had a lot of clinical uh, faculty that were helping us and we fed them. And yeah, it was an all-around positive experience. That didn't mean everything went okay. But um, I I think that bonding is a good point that you brought up, doctor Colin Choder.
0: I love that because, I mean, it really, I mean, when you're on a nursing unit, you feel a bond with your colleagues because you're in the trenches together. Um, So, being in sim together is no different because like you said you have 11 12-hour days and that is amazing I, I cannot imagine now we do an eight-hour day and we have you know complaints so <laughs> that's amazing um i just had a couple of more questions about utilizing sim and Did you evaluate simulation or I know it was part of theory, which is a lot different than it is now because we count it as clinical hours. Um, So how did you evaluate simulation? Did you have a grade or a checklist or some kind of rubric that you followed or was it strictly, you know, just debriefing and giving feedback?
3: I would say that it was satisfactory versus unsatisfactory. We we did do course evaluations and we did ask for simulation feedback. Uh, Becky had a form for years that she'd have them fill on the way out. Our class also did the very first interprofessional uh, simulation with UT, with the pharmacy school. Um, And I did an IRB on that and everything Uh, And did a formal kind of rubric sort of evaluation. But the bottom line is uh, that was the year that my father died. And then my mother was put in the nursing home. And I never published it, even though I collected the data. I did it as a group, just life events. And if you wonder, Heather, why didn't we do research? Why didn't we publish all this? We were too busy doing it. And also with that 60 hour work week, I had two young kids at that time and I was a single parent. And so trying to do that and take care of my own parents and then do enough to stay at the college. Those were the hardest years of my life, honestly. And I had to work every other weekend because my salary had been cut when I left the clinical area to come to teaching. And so I had to work every other weekend. So I'd work 12 days in a row off four days a month. And so, frankly, there was no more energy to do the research or to publish. Absolutely. The evaluations were done as well as we had data at the time.
0: And thank you for sharing that, because, I mean, we're all human. And at the end of the day, those are things that you can't control and you still have to take care of yourself and your family. So absolutely.
1: Um. You've already touched a good bit on challenges that you face in in an 11 hour workday of SIM sounds very exhausting. Um, How did you, did you see those challenges change as simulation became adopted and more accepted? Um, Do you think some of these challenges that you face are still a problem today? Can you guys uh, kind of elaborate a little bit more about that?
3: I'd love to hear what Ann says, but when we moved into the new building, in 2010, and we had an actual control room, and we had video capability, and we had a grasp of how the equipment worked. To me, I don't know how you feel, Dr. Graves. I, I remember standing at the window with you one day, and I had tears running down my face, and I said, "This is so much easier." Ann.
4: Oh yeah, I, re- I remember that. Um, yes, yeah. so, yeah, <laughs> the challenges is. I don't. I can't speak to today. I can see the path that we took and how things got better and better and better with time. Uh, We had we got more supply. Angela and I used to collect supplies from the hospital and bring them in just to do our simulations. And then we got the support and Miss Edwards and her group. And I, I, I can't say enough about them and how they navigated the challenges, because let me tell you, not only Miss Edwards, but the rest of that group, Patrick McIntyre and Regina Sanders, I never heard the words come out of their mouth. We can't do that ever. <laughs> um, they always found a way to rise to the occasion. Maybe we accepted some things less than they should have been as well. but it was a great it was a great time. It was a great journey when you look back on it now you don't even see that, the challenges as being that big of a part of it. Uh, We just navigated them. We just did what we needed to do and move through it. You know what I'd love to I would love to to better understand, and I've watched some of your podcasts and all, what the faculty are doing now and, you know, to see, you know, how they're meeting their challenges Uh, and everything. But I think it was a great time. I have nothing but fond memories of. Now, I want to say, though, that I do feel like sometimes I was dragged kicking and screaming by Dr. Colin Joder and Miss Edwards. Yes, we're going to do this. And yes, we're going to do it now. And we're going to do it the right way, you know, but it was it was all good. I think I was a pretty good follower. And I think it benefited me in the long run. You you are a
3: good follower, (laughs) Heather. I still use simulation in the hospital, okay? But I do it. I work for the stroke service, and so we simulate for the nurses who've never done a code stroke or stroke recognition. So I would still work in high fidelity patient simulation, and all I can say is I just flip a button and it goes. And so that's a lot different than having to execute every command. We had to, you know, make it go manually forward. And so now all of the advances in high fidelity simulation make it much easier. And the fact that I had used it in the academic realm makes it much simpler to use it in the clinical realm. But remember, I I told you earlier, I was actually doing simulation in the operating room in the early 90s. We would do mock uh, high, malignant hyperthermia codes in the early 90s we just used the Laredol CPR mannequins. so this is probably a 30 year history of doing simulation for me
0: that is wonderful that I remember um, as a student hearing about the malignant hyperthermia uh, scenarios in pharmacology so those are things that definitely stick with you um, and I mean I think that more, or I don't think that we utilize simulation in the hospital setting or in the clinical setting as much as we could. However, like you said before, what time do you have? We're already short-staffed and we're already burnt out. So going to a hospital and telling them, you need to do these simulations, that might be a little, um, it might be a little easier said than done.
2: I, I would just like to add uh, to some of that, and I agree with what everybody has said, but when we were in Russell Hall, um, the simulation experience definitely had its challenges. First for space, and and then once we got additional med, uh, simulators, then we had to find new rooms for them. Um, but the first floor when uh, we were in Russell Hall was by um, the um angela and what do you what do you call that group it it was in an exam room on the first floor yeah but but who who was down there in the exam room i mean before before that oh it was the
3: student health student health health. they actually had you remember they had a freezer for all the insulin and that's where i got the the, uh, the equipment.
2: <laughs> I, I couldn't think of the student health. But anyway, when they moved out of the building, we got all their space, which was absolutely great. But um, uh, before that, it was very difficult. And so, um, and there were challenges with it with individual faculty. And I will say, as uh, director of the Learning Resources Center at the time, Angela and Annie were, were one of our biggest challenges, were one of my biggest challenges because. They wanted to do more than what the, the um, uh, situations that we had paid for. They wanted to say, oh, well, that's great, but let's also do such and such. And so that was always fun. But it was a challenge because um, they'd say, now, this is what, what you have to make the simulator do. And it, it wasn't all written down in a book for us. And so we had to do some by trial and error. And uh, sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. (laughs) So, um, Angela, um, one time we actually, in doing defibrillations, it didn't say in the manual that you had to wait a certain time between defibrillations and we actually fried our mannequin. Yeah, it caught on fire.
1: (laughs) Well, that's an excellent time to to teach what to do. In a situation in a hospital when there is a fire,
3: that's exactly. <laughs> you know, we, we closed the door and evacuated and unplugged. That's what we did, and, I, and it was Marty Clifton that was in that room doing the defibrillator. I said, Marty, what did you do? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and um, before we got the actual simulator that, uh, which we call Maddie, or I call Maddie, and the simulators that. that simulators that you have today, we had the CPR mannequins. And so before actual simulation, we would uh, have all of our students use the CPR mannequin, just like uh, Anne said. But we also, a couple of times, um, uh, gathered together with, with student health. And we had uh, over the loudspeaker in Russell Hall would come, um, that there was a code going on. And so the doctors and the nurses downstairs in Russell Hall had to respond to the code, which was upstairs in our simulation room with our CPR simulator. So that was, and they never knew when it was gonna happen. So that was always interesting.
0: I love that. And I have actually told Patrick and Regina that we need some kind of speaker system to call codes. Um, especially when we start doing our mock hospital and things like that, our disaster sim. I would love that. Um, just, I mean, I guess it adds to that realism.
2: We didn't evaluate anything. We, I mean, we hoped that they went back and evaluated themselves, but you know, our job was not to, to evaluate. Our job was just to make it happen. Right. But, but it was an interesting experience.
0: That's awesome. Well, if you knew what you know today, looking back, um, what, did, would, what would you have done differently? Or would you have done anything differently?
2: You know, I don't know whether I would have done anything differently at the time because we were so just trying to cram so much information into our own brains and learn what was before us. And the many challenges that the simulation proposed, and the many opportunities that it proposed to students, that um, you know we were swamped. So I don't, my brain I don't think could have held any more at that particular time. Now with uh, I, I think that simulation I've been, but I've been retired now for since 2008. But I think that simulation has certainly advanced during that time period. So I only did simulation for three years with an actual simulator. But um, uh, I think that so many advances have been made and there's so many opportunities, but to to try to make it a fun experience for both those participating and those not. We had some actual really fun times with faculty when they would play a role, or we got students to sometimes play a role um, in the simulation. And they loved it. They had a good time, and because they were all the other end of it, um, it might not have been. It wasn't necessarily in their class that they were the, playing a role, but it was, you know, maybe a class lower than them. And they had a good time doing that. And um, so uh, Dr. Adams, who was director of the undergraduate program, even um, dressed up one time with a, um, uh, the girlfriend of a cocaine addict. And um, she wanted to get his clothes to take home and wash. But students didn't realize that he had some cocaine stuck in his underwear that we had planted there. It wasn't real cocaine. It was just powder. But, you know, sometimes his groups will give it to her and sometimes they wouldn't. And that was a good learning experience. And so those are the kinds of things that you could automatically bring in. And we we had one mother who didn't speak English. And so we had gotten a, one of the Asian students to play a role as folks I, I guess spanish or something i don't know but um yeah. uh that was interesting to see the students respond to that but those are real hospital situations that they're going to run into i think becky what she was
4: uh, referring to early earlier is that dr Colin yoder and i we did complex clients so we were always right. wanting to add a level of complexity to this even if the scenario was complex, we were always tweaking it and adding uh, and and they did a great job, you know, responding to that. You know, one of the things that has crossed my mind in looking, I'm not sure that we're to the question yet about um, advice or what we would do. Di- I can't think of anything I'd do different. It was such a a, a wonderful journey I can only look back on it and see it as that kind of of experience. But one of the things that we haven't talked a lot about is the outcomes that we got in terms of our own scholarship. And so I guess if I had any advice to give to the faculty that are currently doing um, the simulation is not to overlook the outcomes. Because we did some wonderful presentations, didn't we, Becky and
1: Angela? We did, and
4: and they were fun to do. We and went so- to the NLN in New York. We were a, we were early adopters, and once we did the presentation, we were flooded with questions. So I would say to faculty, don't overlook what you can teach someone else, because then when I went to conferences, I always wanted to go see what somebody else could tell me about their simulation and all. So I I tell faculty, I would advise faculty not to overlook their opportunities for publications and presentations based on their simulation.
3: Uh, Heather, I I I don't have any regrets, okay? and I wouldn't have done anything differently, I would use the word that life unfolds. Mm -hmm. And it's like you're dealt a hand of cards and you play them the best you can. And our cards at that time did not include the good research that you have now on simulation. Mm -hmm. For guidance, we had to go to the aviation and space NASA, uh, you know, literature. There was not healthcare literature on best practices in simulation. But because I continued to work in simulation till 2015, and I still work in simulation in a clinical environment, I would just say we get better and better and better. And then my advice to faculty for encouragement is I find that sometimes if you, you're going to lose your passion if you don't know why you're doing what you do. The whole reason I came to the college, I did not come willingly. I came kicking and screaming because the dean came to me and said, we need more of you in clinical practice. I came because I wanted to make people who cared about patients as much as I did. My outcome in teaching was always to make nurses who took care of patients better. And simulation was a great tool to do that with. And so uh, I fear sometimes that people come into teaching because they think it's easier. I think if you do it well, it's actually harder. You have to choose to stay both engaged in the education literature and in the clinical literature. And that is huge. A lot of people say to me, oh, I wanna be a teacher like you. I said, okay, if you're willing to work 60 hours a week and be paid less than you are in the hospital, as long as you accept that and you have a rationale for being where you're gonna be, good. But if you think it's an easier job to do well, it is not.
0: Absolutely. I thank all of you for your little nuggets of wisdom. I want to write them all down and soak in everything from this conversation. Um, Does anybody have any closing remarks? I think
2: that's a wonderful place to close. I think it would be wonderful. And maybe, maybe this uh, faculty are doing this now. I don't know since I retired in 2008, but, I think students need to be exposed to and see the simulator when they first come to upper division so that they can get maybe a tour and, and see some of the uh, things that faculty can do in action. And the faculty could just say, show them how he can, the, the simulator can, can demonstrate an, uh fibrillation or show them that he has a seizure, you know, and say, what would you do? You know, this is what you're going to learn in my course, you know, that kind of thing, be excited about it so that they won't, be freaked out the first time that they see this mannequin move or have a voice. And um, I think the voice from the mannequin um, is very beneficial and um, it sometimes freaks students out, but you know, let expose it to them early. So they can say, I wonder what he's going to say next kind of thing.
0: That is That's great all. advice. And I know Holly um Holly teaches in adult health, so she may have a little bit more to say about how we introduce students to the the simulator.
1: We introduce them typically in health assessment. Doctor Sarah Taylor has them come in in health assessment, and just to lay hands on, and it's just to touch and right. to listen and to hear how it sounds and to distinguish machine sounds versus, um, you know, heart sounds and lung sounds. And we will. Um, make it scream and talk through it and change lung sounds and heart rhythms. So just that they have an idea, they've laid their hands on this mannequin um, in first semester so that when they do hit second semester and they actually start participating in STEM, um it's nothing incredibly new. Like they've seen this room before. They've seen these mannequins before. Um, and we just kind of build upon, okay, well, now that you've hit second semester, now you get to do this with this mannequin. And here's, you know, your do's and don'ts for it as well.
2: That's, that's great to know. And I think another thing to stress to faculty that if something goes wrong, then they've got to have a plan B in, you know, in place. So, you know, don't just freak out because, you um, Anything can be a learning experience. We turned a lot of things that happened into uh, unique kind of learning experiences. And I think you can do that with just about anything that happens.
0: So we would like to thank Dr. Collins Yoder and Dr. Graves and Ms. Edwards for joining us today for the Capstone SimCast. We appreciate your wisdom and everything that you have brought to the table today. Um, we hope that you will join us next season for the Capstone SimCast.